Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about Latinx education and representation, and specifically what it's like to be a Latina with a master's degree. Um, and today, we have Christina Rodriguez on of at Latinas with Masters to chat about that. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Fina. How are you? I'm good. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This is a uh, topic that, for one, we haven't explored, but for two, we haven't really had um, any Latinx representation at all on the podcast yet. And um, I'm Hispanic and, <laughs> and haven't had anyone on to really like represent or uh, go into the background of uh, why representation is important or uh, why it's important to show uh, Latinas with uh, a higher education and higher degrees and why that's mm -hmm. important. Um and I'm someone who my family uh, is Mexican and um, we, my grandpa, basically uh, his family immigrated and um, he didn't teach anyone Spanish, didn't really teach a lot about the culture uh, to protect his kids because mm -hmm. uh, there was so much discrimination. And so I've grown up with kind of, I think once they all got a little bit older, they tried to then kind of reteach and introduce culture to people. But I've grown up in a very like white environment because of that. Um, and even my dad, you can see by his skin tone is definitely not a white person. However, like doesn't know any Spanish, like sounds really goofy when he tries to speak Spanish. Like just, it's just not something that was ever really taught to us. And so, um, it's something that for one, I would like to learn more about as an individual, but for two, as I just was talking to you before we started recording, a lot of my audience is, um, ex-Christian kids. And something that I've talked about a lot in my podcast is uh, the lack of representation in uh, Christian environments and specifically mm -hmm. in Christian schools, which a lot of my audience is from Christian schools. And it's quite a bubble. It's very whitewashed and there's not a lot of representation anywhere. Um, and uh, specifically, there is very little Latinx representation like at all. Um, so uh, that was one of the reasons why I reached out to you just because I thought, what what better way to introduce it than to not only show representation, but specifically to show um, it in an educational space. I think that's really important. Um, so I wanted to give you a chance to, to introduce yourself and kind of your background and why Latinas with Masters? Why was that an important space for you to create? Well, I do want to say thank you very much for welcoming me into your space. Um, I know how sacred spaces can be, um, and which is one of the reasons why I created Latinas with Masters and the Latinas with Masters podcast. And even just you describing, um, you know, the experiences of your audiences as well as yourself. We have a lot of shared experiences, even though we possibly grew up in different areas in California. My family's from Nicaragua, but yet I'm also... Christian in a sense, because I was raised Catholic. Uh, my mom went to a Catholic school in Nicaragua. So we can de definitely dig deeper with the way I was raised when it comes to Christianity um, and the way that I'm also raising my kids. But um, again, I do want to thank everybody for welcoming me into the space and for listening to the podcast. Uh, my name is Christina Rodriguez. I am the creator and founder of Latinas with Masters. Um, just to give you a little bit of an educational background, um, I was born and raised in San Francisco. I am a daughter of immigrants from Nicaragua. I am the middle child of three, um, and um, I grew up all over the Bay Area. I've lived in Cupertino, which is a predominantly white um, uh, school system, you know, near San Jose. I later moved to Mountain View, and then um, I eventually 
found my way back to San Francisco, where I went to San Francisco State University and graduated with a bachelor's degree um, in Latino studies. And then um, I went on to get my master's degree at Notre Dame Dinamir University, um, which is a, um, you know, I don't know what they consider themselves now because it is, it was founded by sisters. I'm not sure if it's specifically um, a Christian school or a Jesuit school, but it is like a religion based school, but they don't, they didn't instill religion in my academics, if that makes sense, right? So Notre Dame Dinamir University is in Belmont, um, and I got my master's in business administration there. So I got my MBA with an emphasis in marketing. And then now I actually go to Mills College um, in Oakland, California, and I am getting my doctorate degree in education. So very different spaces when it comes to educational backgrounds, right? San Francisco being very diverse city just in itself. The campus was very diverse. My professors looked like me. I had a diverse student population surrounded by me. And I was very proud to come from a university that has roots in fighting for students' rights because San Francisco is the first university in the nation to start the ethnic studies department in which follow in which other um, colleges and universities followed right so to offer um, latin american studies um, africana studies asian american studies native american studies that falls under the umbrella of ethnic studies so i'm very proud to have the foundation come from san francisco state and then to answer your question um why i started latinas with masters is i started thinking about what I didn't have during graduate school. And during my master's program, I was the only Latina in the majority of my cohort. It wasn't until the end of the semester that I found one other Latina um, who happens to be from Guatemala. And, um, you know, I often had feelings of imposter syndrome, but I didn't know that that was the term of it at the time. I just felt like I didn't belong there. I was just like, dude, where are my Latinos at? Like, why am I the only one here? Like, is it really that hard to get into a program? Like, um, cause I did have a little bit of assistance, but I was just kind of like, I don't, I, I didn't understand it. So I did temporarily drop out because I felt like I didn't belong there. Um, I eventually re-entered myself back into my master's program because my sister ended up enrolling in the same school as me um, in a different program. Um, she ended up getting her master's in marriage family therapy. Um, but the cool thing about that story is that we actually graduated together and we both graduated on stage and uh, my parents got to see both of their daughters graduate, you know, with their master's. Um, and so I thought that was a, that's a really cool story. And I, I share that story a lot. Um, but as I was transitioning, um, or as, as I got admitted to my doctoral program, again, I was like, okay, I intentionally picked Mills College. There's faculty of color. I know for a fact there's diverse student population there. Um, it is known for being a woman's college. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of, like, queer, non-binary um, you know, population there as well. So I felt like, you know, I definitely want to go there because I also want to learn from other people's experiences. And so I created Latinas with Masters uh, Instagram platform first because I wanted to share my experience in graduate school, both from the masters and the new incoming doctoral experience. But then also I wanted to help more women, women of color, Latinas, get into graduate school. So if they didn't know if they're in their undergrad and they wanted to learn how to get into a master's program, or if they're 
a current master's, you know, graduate student and just wanted a, you know, a place of belonging, or if those that are, have already received their master's and they're like, Hey, I would love to join this community because I'm part of that 4% that has a master's degree. And so, um, when I created that platform, I honestly thought it was just going to be just like friendship and community, which that's what it is. But it ended up being a lot more because I'm definitely pouring my experiences, your experiences, her experience, his experience, everybody's experiences in Latinas with Masters to be seen, heard, and validated, you know? And uh, we could definitely dig a little bit deeper, but if you're not aware by now, academia has a very funny way of showing and, and acknowledging what validation is. I mean, even if we think about queer experience in academia, it's, it's very limited, you know, and, and I have someone on my podcast that is specifically, you know, doing a dissertation, not only on his queer experiences, but other queer experiences in academia, because it does not exist, you know, but we're there, we're there in these spaces, we're paying tuition in these spaces. And so, um, that's why I created Latinas with Masters. It's, it's everything that I, want it to be and it's everything that you need it to be um there are no limits in what latinas with masters uh can do i love that um so you mentioned four percent is that the percentage of latinx individuals that uh are able to receive a master's degree or that have a master's degree rather that is the percentage that have earned a master's degree. So have received a master's degree. And then even if you desegregate the data even further, when that's just master's degree. And then if you just, if you go take it further, it's under 2% for doctoral PhD professional degrees. And that's combined. They haven't, they haven't desegregated data where it's just like men and women are non-binary. Again, we're using data from, we're using in a sense outdated data because back then they didn't, again, acknowledge non-binary, right? They didn't acknowledge queer. They didn't acknowledge what the term Latinx is, right? They just said male and female, this is the data, right? And so um, I'm, I'm hopeful that the upcoming data that we, that future PhD students like myself, um, you know, again, we start validating those experiences because people want to be seen, people want to be heard, and they want to be validated with, you know, identities um, in which they identify with. Yeah. So can I ask, and I'm sure this is an incredibly nuanced and intersectional question, but can I ask why? Like why 4%? Why? That's a relatively low number. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some of the reasons behind why that number is so low? I mean, yeah, you want to think about the, I mean, even, even just between a community college and a four-year university, um, admission process, or even going into a four-year, it's, it's less, even though there are barriers, there's more barriers going from a, from a bachelor's degree into a master's degree. So to get into a graduate program, you need to, some programs, not all, um, you need to have an, um, a GRE or a GMAT, uh, admission test. And so that costs money, right? You have to prep for this test um, and then you have to pay to take the test. And then the universities decide based on this score system, um, rather you would be a qualified or a fit, and I'm using air quotes, you guys, um, candidate to get into graduate school. That is a barrier. That is not equity getting into graduate school, right? So there are systems in place that were built 
So to keep out black and brown students in academia, and that is one of them. And I'm proudly to say that Notre Dame and Mills College did not require a GRE or a GMAT to get into graduate school. And at the end of the day, I still have a degree, just like somebody who took that admission or that entrance test, right? So what is really the value of it if academia is claiming or, or standing behind this policy that in order for us to determine if you would be a good graduate student, you would have to take this test. That test doesn't mean shit. It's a made up test that if you look at the history was built to keep us out because in full transparency, those tests are afforded by um, non-people of color, you know, due to money, due to access, due to privilege. Um, and so if you've, re if you've noticed in the news during COVID-19, you know, a lot of people were just like, that's not equity, that enough is enough, you know? And so then graduate programs and even undergrad, they started waiving it, right? It's, it's interesting how they don't want to eliminate it. They're just waiving it temporarily due to COVID because now they realize that it is a barrier. Man, it's always been a barrier. It's just COVID-19. Right, right. Put it, put it in your face that this is inequ inequitable along with all the million other things that we just decided to say enough is enough, right? With healthcare, with education, in the workplace, you know, it's just, it was an uprising and, and academia right. had a back, had a back seat for a minute until people were like, no, nah, that's always been a barrier. And you guys made it very difficult for us to get in. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I took a class on um, testing in uh, my four-year program and um, it was a class, I, I have a bachelor's in psychology and uh, it was mm -hmm. a, a test that was, or a class that was required in the um, psychology program. Like once you actually entered mm -hmm. program, it wasn't a prereq. And, um, I always thought that was weird. I was like, huh, weird. Like when I first signed up, I was like, why am I taking a class on like the history of testing? Um, and then when I took it, like, um, that was one of the things that there, there have been a lot of things throughout my life that clicked for me as to how, um, you, you talk about, you know, people talk about white privilege. People talk about, oh, like you, ha you have head start and it always made sense to me to an extent, but taking that class was one of the things that really like light bulbed it for me. Because they talked about mm -hmm. the creation of testing and education and how um, having a degree and having education, how that obviously can lead to higher incomes and um, mm -hmm. routes out of poverty and then can create a chain effect with your children and your children can have higher incomes and they can have education. And it's just this huge domino effect and how mm -hmm. when uh, tests were originally created, like standardized testing. Um, and we're talking SAT, we're talking ACT, we're talking the LSAT, the GRE, like all of that kind of stuff. Uh, all of those tests, like at the very base of when they were created, they were created for white people. Mm -hmm. They were not created were for, for black and brown people. They were created for white people. And if you go all the way back just to the root of that and you're looking at, okay, well, if this thing that lets me in the door to all of these places that can then get me higher income, uh, better healthcare, uh, housing in, uh, safer areas, uh, have a better future for my children, better future for my grandchildren. And this huge domino effect. If the thing that helps me get through that door was originally created specifically for me and not for other people. And they went into the details of the, um, how that created this huge chain effect of, um, essentially just 
privilege for white people. And specifically within uh, high school, middle school, you know, you have standardized testing that throughout the year, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, once a year or whatever can kind of assess progress and how that testing was essentially used to, it was, it was a test that was made for white people, even to the point of like, culturally, there were questions in the test that would make sense to a white person culturally and, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, environmentally, and maybe wouldn't make sense to a black or brown person. And that doesn't at Mm -hmm. all actually evaluate their intelligence that evaluates like their, their uh, awareness of someone else's environment that they weren't living in, which that, that, that doesn't add up to your IQ. Right. And so they were explaining that, um, then the, the children and the students, and we're talking like under 18, um, that tested poorly would get sent to classrooms with teachers that were not the best teachers. And so essentially they, they gave their very best teachers, the teachers that had the highest level of education, they gave the best students to the best teachers. So then they could, you know, produce these like mega students that had like the most knowledge possible and then they could go to college and they could do all these great things. And the kids that tested lower didn't get sent to the teachers that maybe could help them advance. They got sent to the teachers that maybe weren't super great at their jobs and maybe didn't have as much education and, and weren't the teachers that were going to be able to equip them to like get into college and, and excel. So basically you just Mm -hmm. create this huge system where the people who are quote unquote struggling in education, which really at the very base of it wasn't struggling intellectually. It was struggling with the fact that the test was not made for them. And therefore how would they be able to succeed in that? And you just keep this cycle of, okay, well you get the teachers. Oh, now you're, now you're children who are a little bit challenged and maybe you need more help. And oh, you're not the smartest ones. And then the gifted kids get to go to the best teachers. And it just creates this huge cycle of privilege and privilege and privilege and privilege. And I remember Correct. explaining it to a white man once. And I was explaining, you realize that, that, that that's not an error that you made. This isn't like, oh, you did this white man, like specifically this individual I was speaking to, because we went to the whole route mm-hmm. of, well, well, I worked really hard. And I said, I bet you did. I bet you worked so hard. However, can we acknowledge mm-hmm. that at the very base of where you started, you started 20 steps ahead of the person next to you? Correct. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not that you did something evil or wrong and by just going to school and doing good. It's not that. It's that at the very base, mm-hmm. if you look at the history of it, you were at an advantage. Whether you wanted that advantage or not, you had an advantage. And we've talked a little bit about uh, nuance, specifically in the last few episodes, intersectionality, and just the fact that a lot of these different things of white privilege and of uh, misogyny and uh, homophobia really come down to uh, society building systems against certain groups of people. And Mm -hmm. when you realize that you are benefiting from those systems, I think the human gut reaction is, well, I'm not a bad person. I didn't do anything wrong. And so it creates this, this environment where people really don't want to live in tension and in that kind of gray area of acknowledging, Mm -hmm. well, maybe I didn't create this system, but I'm benefiting from it and learning about that and unpacking that and trying to figure out how to equalize the playing field is important. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I am, a terrible, horrible person for benefiting from the system. It means that I need to educate myself on how to make it so that I'm not, I'm not getting an advantage and try to figure out how to level that playing field because that's not fair. There's, there's no reason that mm-hmm. I should be getting an advantage. Other people shouldn't. So we've talked mm-hmm. about that a lot. Um, and I, j- I only bring that up because the, the testing thing I think is so interesting because so much of it, once we introduce standardized testing, it, it really offset the playing field, like mm-hmm. in, in, in to an intense level. Yeah, no, I mean, we are 
entering learning spaces that weren't designed for black and brown people to advance. Right. And then the few that do, I mean, the numbers are, there's huge gaps. There's huge gaps, you know, between black, brown, Asian, even American Indian and, you know, and Latinos, honestly, it's like, there's huge gaps between all of those, um, milestones, right. in in higher education. And you bring a very good point. And I've come across that people as well that are white and they get very upset, right. When, when we're having a conversation like this and then I'm like, why are you upset? I'm not attacking you. Right. But this individual feels the need to take on, you know, the, um, the, you know, the stress or, you know, the, the fault of, you know, of the white men who created this, right? But it's because you're accepting it. You're accepting that, you know, something in you is saying like, wow, like she's right in a way, you know, like I have benefited and I do have white privilege and then they're getting upset. But also you also need to validate that even though you've had a different experience, we also have a different experience. And there's a lot of gaslighting going around, right? So when people say, well, I worked very hard and what, I didn't? You know what I'm saying? Like I worked just as hard as you did probably, if not more, you know, because not only are we dealing with this in academia, we're dealing with this in the workplace, we're dealing with it in healthcare, we're dealing with it in how we get housing, all those things. There's all these things that are not designed for black and brown people. And that is the full transparency, whether people want to accept it or not. Um, and I've just realized that the people that get frustrated on it are those that are not willing to accept and validate our experiences because they want to compare theirs to ours. I'm not here to compare. I know we don't have the same experiences. What I'm saying is that this is my experience and you can't tell me otherwise that it's not, you know? And so I feel like that's been the challenge sometimes. And again, COVID-19 in the last two years, have, it, it's, 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 it's created a lot of problems within just conversations, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting now, you know, kind of going back to education and why it was built, you know, it was built to remove our language, our culture, our heritage, so we can be more Americanized. And yet we're not American enough. We were never going to be American enough because of my last name, because of my skin complexion, because of my accent, because of my curly hair. There's always going to be something that we're not American enough, but yet you want us to conform and be conditioned to be American, right? I'm American. I was born here. I remember telling my parents, I'm from Nicaragua. I'm Nicaragüense. And even my mom telling me, you're not Nicaragüense. You are American. And I used to get mad at her because I'm like, no, you, you, you and my dad are from Nicaragua. Why do you keep saying that? And then as I got older, I realized that what she was saying was I have a right to be here just like any other American, right? If we're just going on the basics of what is an American, right? I was born here. You know, even though I learned Spanish first, I, I learned English at school, but she goes, you are an American. You have every right to be in this classroom. You have every right to get that job. You have every right to get an education, to be a homeowner, whatever it was. She was making sure that I understood that I am an American, even though I self-identify as Latina, as, you know, Nicaragüense, that's fine. But she's like, but at the basic level, you are American and don't anybody else, don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. And again, I was just like, wow, like growing up and then learning and hearing other people's stories that have the same experience with their parents. It's just wild to me that like my mom was teaching me a lesson that I would hold value to at an older age and not realizing at that age what she really meant, you know?
Yeah, and it's it's so interesting too because all of uh, so much of the um hatred and intolerance towards anyone who isn't a white American by other mm-hmm. white Americans is so mm-hmm. just built on the idea that they want people to stay very small and they don't want you to mm-hmm. take up space and they want you to be mm-hmm. quiet and not bother anybody and they don't want anyone to take up any space or any time. And how like beautiful that your mom taught you that also like what uh uh that's that's such a like danger to the system if that makes sense like the white the white man the white men that created the system they don't want you to 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 have that uh validation and that encouragement to take up all the space that you want to because you deserve to be here and you have a right to be here and Mm -hmm. if you look at like it all comes down to those types of systems of it was built to people keep people as small as possible. And we're mm-hmm. obviously talking directly about like the Latin community, but also, I mean, uh, so many minorities, it, it's, it's just built to keep people small. And if, if you look at that from a really objective, non-defensive lens as, as a white person as like, this isn't like an attack on me. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just looking at the logic of it. If you're mm-hmm. a white man and, and I'm talking like the white men who created this, if you're a white man and you're looking to stay in power, you're looking to keep your money. You're looking to keep your businesses, to keep your land. You want other people to not take any of that. Exactly. And so logically, if you just look at it from like a very like objective perspective of like, here was what they were aiming to do. And here are the actions they took to try to achieve that. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that the whole system is built on trying to keep people small and quiet. Because why mm-hmm. would you want people to to take up space? And Absolutely. at the from an ethical perspective, you look at that and you say, holy shit, like that's, first of all, you can look at that person and that group, those group of groups of people that just wanted, it's selfish, it's greedy, it's, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a fucking like savior complex and pride complex of just uh, assuming that you're the most superior person in the room and deserve all of these things when no one else deserves them. And Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's been interesting for me to learn over the last few years is that doesn't necessarily mean that those qualities fall upon me in terms of like, exactly. that doesn't mean that, that when people say, Hey, this system's super fucked up. They're not calling me like, Hey, you greedy motherfucker. Like, look what you've done. It's like, no, they're exactly. acknowledging that the system was built to uh, just give me more riches and land and time and space. And that's what it was built for. And so mm-hmm. I think I'm naturally uh, as a child, specifically an incredibly defensive person. And mm-hmm. I, as a child, would hear every criticism as an attack. And I was I was a straight A, like, very perfectionistic kiddo. And so when people would say, mm-hmm. hey, even like, hey, your essay, if you added this, it would be a little bit better. I'd be like, ha, like, how dare you? Like, it's perfect. And I would mm-hmm. get super defensive. And it was a big uh, uh, mindset shift to just be able to look at it from more of a perspective of uh, this isn't someone attacking you directly. This is someone saying, hey, we've been here just as long as y'all have, like, we have a right to be here too. Why is it that you're superior? Like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And when you go down to the roots and the history of it, you can see, I think from a much more clear and ethical perspective that, uh, and even just logically, like for me, the testing thing, like I said, that, that, that clicked so much in my brain because it, it gave a tangible reason. People would throw around the word white privilege and I never quite understood what it meant. And when uh, I understood the logic and the root of it. And there was a tangible um, uh, example, I guess, that that really clicked in my brain. I was like, oh, I, I get it. This isn't just a, a, a 
a woke phrase that's being taught. Because I keep in mind, grew up in an inc- mm-hmm. incredibly conservative environment where, um, you know, I am obviously, I, I'm predominantly white. Um, and I uh, obviously, hi, I'm the palest person in the world. And was benefiting from these systems and had no idea. And any time that anyone would mention it, it got defensive. And I think that mm-hmm. um, when you are able to look at it from a perspective of, hey, these the the groups of people that are trying to fight for their rights and fight for their space and are wanting to take up more space and take up the space that they deserve to, spake, to uh, take up, not even like steal someone else's space, but just take up their space and be able to be validated and have, uh, be able to speak their minds and have a voice and all these things. That's not a threat to me. That's not, it's, I, and there's always that stupid, like super cliche phrase of like, equality is not pie. Like if, if one person mm-hmm. takes one slice, you don't get less, but it really is like an incredibly true statement that you're not losing anything. Like it's, it's a, it's a, and I also hate framing, uh, the fight for equality as like, Hey, white people, look how you can benefit. Cause I think that's not necessary either. Cause you don't mm-hmm. need to you don't need you don't need a benefit from equality in order to have a drive to try to achieve it um but i also wanted to mention and slash kind of ask you about the language aspect of it because mm-hmm. when we look back at testing and this is something i don't know and i'm curious if if you have an answer for this but mm-hmm. when we're looking at these tests and the the um tests that get you into these spaces right mm-hmm. Are they tests that have other language options or are they are they English tests? Because I'm I'm curious as if that is also an added barrier. To my knowledge, they're in English. Um, I haven't heard okay. otherwise. And and in full transparency, I haven't even researched it, but I do from what I've heard so far, they are in English, right? And you're right, that is another barrier, right? That's a barrier in everything from a housing application, again, right. to applying for healthcare. You know, um, language barrier is always going to be there because, again, you know, the intention of, you know, how this country was built was for us to learn English, even though at the basis, even English is not even English because it's coming from, you know, Europe and mixed with Latin words. And listen, we can go there. We cannot go there. But <laughs> the the standard of what they want us to identify as English, I guess. Yes, it's it's English. But, you know, I just wanted to bring something up because we're talking about language and I do want to talk about terms is even the way in which we're conditioned to identify people of color. Like I know you had mentioned minority. I used to say minority a lot. I used to say in my essays, I'm a minority. I'm a minority. Right. Because I've always been told I was a minority. And the first thing that my professor said in my doctoral program is Take the term minority out of your head. It does not exist. It is a made up term to identify, you know, black and brown bodies, right? To make us feel little, right? We're talking about making us feel little. Minority is one of those words, right? Even if you want to look at data today, Latinos are 62 million people in the United States. We are the majority. We are not a minority, right? So even if you want to go to the basis of just data, which a lot of, Americans that, um, you know, want to put data as, you know, the basis of any conversation or the basis of justifying, you know, any type of policy or procedure, why they do things. Latinos are 62 million and we are the majority. So yeah, why are not testing in Spanish? Why is there not language-based applications or access to resources or whatever it is, right? If we want to go on the basis of that, Latinos are the majority. Um, So we want to change the way in which we're being identified, right? Just like, 
you know, and, and I'm not very versed. I, I'm not going to tell you that I'm aware with all of the queer like terms because I'm not, I have families that are queer and they're also teaching me. And just like how you want to be rightfully identified, we also want to be rightly identified. Right. So you can say BIPOC, right. Black indigenous people of color. You can say people of color. You can say students of color, faculty of color. Um, you can say Latinx, Latina, Latino, like, just like how we're asking people, like, how, how do you identify? Like, what are your pronouns? You know, um, I think it's also safe to ask, like, you know, how would you like to be addressed? Like, what, what do you identify with? Or how do you identify with, you know, you, you can find a language that fits with you. Um, I don't identify as Latinx, but I also have to be mindful that other people do. So why am I going to unvalidate them that they identify as Latinx when I don't, right? And that could be with anything, right, that we just talked about. So I identify as Latina, but I'm not going to, you know, go down someone's throat just because they called me Latinx. No, I'm mindful enough to know that they're being inclusive by saying Latinx because they may not know how I want to be identified, right? Um, now there's this new term, Latine, right, which is the Spanish version of Latinx because of the way that the Spanish language uses their um, consonants and pronouns and accents, I'm not a Spanish major and I honestly don't really like, am, you know, um, fluent in Spanish to really know how certain words are supposed to be, um, written because that's why I took Spanish class in, in high school because I wanted to learn how to read and write, you know? Um, but again, I just kind of feel like that's important because, you know, again, we're going back to validation, right? We need to validate that, we're not minorities. We need to validate that, you know, we do identify with certain identities and they can be shared identities. You can be black and queer and still feel, you know, the inequities between being a black person and being queer. They may not share the same space at the same time, but you're going to feel, you know, a certain type of way when, you know, when your um, identity as a black woman or a black man or non-binary is being um, disrupted and then you also might feel a certain type of way when, you know, how you identify as being a queer is disrupted and that's okay, you know? And so a lot of people feel like you have to choose. I have to choose either from being Latina or queer. No, I am both. But right now you're disrupting the way that I represent myself as being a Latina, you know? And that's the thing that we have to like come to understand when it comes to understanding other people's experiences, right? There is no right or wrong way. And it's okay if you don't share those experiences, you're learning, right? I'm learning from your experience because I honestly don't know how it is to be a white passing Latina, right? My mom is probably similar, maybe a little bit darker, but my mom is like a white passing Latina. She has fair skin. My dad is darker complexion. You would think he's African-American, honestly. And you know, and they get confused a lot, you know, but my kids, they look like you, they are light skinned. And I've been asked, Oh, are you the nanny? I was like, why would you ask me that? Because I'm a Brown Latina with white passing kids, you know, like that is a microaggression. Why would you assume that these are not my kids? Like we need to yeah. stop that type of behavior. Right. But I also have to understand that as a Brown Latina, I'm also raising white passing children and like what you said, that are going to have privilege, right? And more privilege than what I experienced. So I also have to acknowledge that, that my kids are not going to have the same academic experience or even lifestyle as me. They already don't because they live in a home. This is the first time I've ever been a homeowner. 
I lived in an apartment my whole life, you know? My parents were divorced at one point, you know? My mom was on food stamps, you know? Like, there's a lot of things that my kids will not know, and I'm going, kind of transitioning to privilege is we all have privilege. It, it doesn't have to be race-based, you know? I know we're talking about about it right now through like race and education but I mean even me being a homeowner that's a privilege the fact that I'm a homeowner there's people that are struggling to make ends meet you know whether it's rent rather it's putting food on the table being homeless whatever it is right we all have privilege and that's one of the other things that my professor said check your privileges what privileges do you have and when they went around the room everybody had a different privilege nobody had the same privilege right what I said was I have a privilege of working in housing for 15 years and knowing my housing rights and knowing how to protect myself when it comes to a landlord or protecting myself when it comes to, you know, fair housing. Right. And I also provide housing education workshops so I can provide that information to them. But everybody had a different privilege. Right. Some of them were like, I'm third, fourth generation getting into college right? That is a privilege that your parents and your grandparents had the access to get into college and have a degree, right? Someone said, I have a privilege of coming to America legally, lawfully, you know, when a lot of people in my family are undocumented and some have been deported, you know? So I'm just naming those things. Those are not all of them, of course, but I also want people or your audience to think about, we all have privilege, right? My cousin told me the other day, you know, his privilege was the fact that he came out to my aunt and uncle and they didn't disown him. That's a privilege because his friends didn't have the same experience. His friend got kicked out. His friends are very conservative, Catholic-minded. You're not my child, you know? And he, and I'm getting goosebumps because I remember the day that he told us this. And I was, and I was just like, wow, like I didn't realize that that is a privilege, right? To have supportive parents accept you for who you are, even though... We've never had anybody in our family, you know, identify uh, for loving a same sex, you know, individual, but it's not to say that we're going to disown you. You're going to teach us and we're going to learn from you and help you and support you navigate this space together. Right. And so I, I say that because I, I, I constantly check my privileges. Right. Um, being an educator and, and having being in spaces that I know other people don't have the privilege to be in. But like you said earlier, too, it doesn't mean that we can't share that. It doesn't mean I'm trying to, like, keep all my privileges to myself. No, I'm trying to share those privileges and also, you know, uh, share a, an equitable pathway for you to get here, too. So that's when people ask me about, like, I really want to go to this university, but they require the GMAT. Listen, if you were to ask me, I would say find a university that doesn't uh, doesn't require it. But if that is your dream school, I mean, if you're like, I want to go to this university, then do it that, you know, don't feel like you have to ask permission um, to go, you know, to do something that you really want to do. Yes, that is a barrier. And you're going to have to live with that barrier if you don't get in, but also have a backup plan. And the backup plan is to find a university that doesn't offer that doesn't require that. Right. So I say these things because they're just they're just authentic conversations that I honestly have with people every day who reach out on my platform, either through the podcast, either through speaking engagements. When I visit universities, you know, these are real life scenarios, right? I'm validating people's experiences here. Um, and, and again, just because I don't share those experiences or identify with that, it doesn't mean that I need to gaslight them and be like, Oh, it's all in your head. Oh, it's all in your head that this and this and this. No, 
you're telling me that that's your experience and I believe you, you know, cause who am I to tell you, you didn't have that. Yeah. And I want to circle back to language for just a moment because I want to correct myself on something. So I have a question mm-hmm. for you. So for, uh, yeah. you're saying, you're saying Latinx and I was pronouncing it as Latinx. And from my perspective, not perspective, cause it's not a perspective. What I thought it yeah. meant, um, <laughs> Uh-huh. was that Latinx was essentially the uh, way to say everyone, like the whole community, because when you say Latino, that's normally more, that's referring to males. And when you're saying Latina, you're normally referring to people who identify as women. And um, that La- Latinx, as I was calling it, or Latinx, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is saying everyone, essentially, is is a way of mm-hmm. uh, making the the term, because I know that Spanish is a language that is very binary in terms of how it is designed. Correct. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that a way of kind of uh, making it more non-binary, but also not directly just speaking to uh, non-binary individuals, if that makes sense. So that Latinx is kind of a a way of saying everyone and not just like just the non-binary individuals. Yeah. So the way that, so, for example, when you say Latino, traditionally, it would mean male, right? A Latin, a, La- a Latino male. And then when you say Latina, it would be a Latina woman, right? Uh, but then when you say Latinos, plural, it means men and women combined together, right? When when you, plural, um, again, I'm not like a language major, but <laughs> when you plural like a group of individuals in Spanish, um, it's going to be male dominant, right? Latinos, it can be, um, oh my God, I don't even know what another word would be, right? That would be male dominant, but it, la- people who speak Spanish and, 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 um, grew, grew up in that Spanish, um, language, they know that Latinos mean male and women, right? It's not just men. Um, so I think that's why the Latinx term was created. It was for individuals who don't identify as male or female and the X pretty much will, um, substitute rather if you are male and female and non-binary, right? Okay. So, So it can, it can kind of mean like everyone. It can mean everyone, but like, for example, for those people who don't identify as Latinx, you'll hear them say like, I am Latina, right? I am Latino. I mean, even the word Hispanic is controversy, right? I know you mentioned it earlier as yourself, like I'm Hispanic, Mm -hmm. right? And I used to say that for the longest time, but then I was like, okay, but then when I started learning about like Spain and the colonization and even us using, even Spanish is a colonized language, English is, is a colonized language, you know? I then decided myself that I I do not want to associate myself with Spain um, because of the history of it, um, but because I'm not Hispanic, I'm not from Spain. We have Spanish history, right, in our blood, um, through our language, through our history, by the way that it was colonized in, in our country. Um, and so a lot of people choose not to identify themselves as Hispanic because of that, because it is a government made up term right? Coming from Hispania, right? From Spain. But I'm not going to correct you and be like, oh, why are you using the term Hispanic? I'm open-minded. And so then I I also understand that people can identify however they want to identify. Um, but you are correct in the sense where like Latinx, yes, it, it, it can mean everyone, but also be mindful that someone might say to you, I don't identify as Latinx. I identify as Latina and Latino, and that's also okay. Um, and there's someone that might just say, I don't identify with none of those because it doesn't represent 
really who I am. I consider myself being from Latin origin or Mexican origin. Sometimes they'll just say the actual country and not necessarily the general term to identify everybody that comes from Latin America. So I'm glad you asked that, asked that question because, you know, a lot of people may not know this and it's okay if you don't know, because you've never been, you know, um, exposed to that information. Like, how do you know what you don't know? Right. So I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up. Yeah. Well, and even uh, the Hispanic thing is interesting too, because it, that is one of those things that I have heard recently of that. It was, it's a term that is dying out to an extent uh, mm-hmm, and for good mm-hmm. reason. Um, mm-hmm. And to be honest, like it, it's a term that's used in, in my family to, and the, what they used to describe themselves. And, I, and I'm also surrounded uh, in that side of my family. My last name is Valenzuela. So I have a, mm-hmm. a Mexican last name or a Spanish mm-hmm. last name. And mm-hmm. that side of my family, the the people who um, actually grew up in the culture mm-hmm. and like people like, cause the, the, the children, like my, my dad's siblings are all in their fifties and sixties and they did not grow up in that culture really at all. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa is 90. And so I'm, 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 it's from a individual who uh, the, the nuances of, the like why Hispanic might be harmful is not something really that is in his uh, demographic and in his community or something that is really talked about or, you know, criticized mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. all. Um, Absolutely. But to be totally honest, like the reason why as a child I used to, and now, now I think it's more of a, a habit than anything, but yeah. um, why I would refer to myself as Hispanic is almost that it felt less, um, Intense is the wrong word, but less like I was taking ownership because mm. I would meet people who would call themselves like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Latina or I'm, I'm Latino. And I was like, I always felt very uncomfortable with the idea of ever referring mm-hmm. to myself as that because I know how much pride is in that word and how much like ownership is in that word. And then it's, mm-hmm. it, it's a, like you mentioned at the very beginning, it's a sacred space. And so mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I always kind of felt like, I'm not like a hundred percent from Mexico. Like I don't feel like I have the right to ever claim that. Like I can't speak Spanish. I don't look Mexican at all. Mm -hmm. I don't really have a lot of awareness with the culture. It's something that like I'll dive into every once in a while, but I was, I always, and still feel very sheepish about it and Mm -hmm. would have, uh, kids at school, like, uh, always I'd say, and I kind of would have a little bit of pride about it and be like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm Mexican. And I've had people, I know you're not like you're, you're incredibly pale. And I would always just kind of like, okay, like, never mind. And my, my, mm-hmm. uh, my defense was always, well, wait till you see my dad and wait till you see my grandpa. Because mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. I trust me, like you, you'll tell, you can tell <laughs> like when you see them, you'll know they're not white. And, um, despite the fact that anyone who hears my last name, uh, anyone specifically that I ever meet who is uh Latino or Latina will say, oh, where, like, where are you from? Or where's your family from? Because they'll notice the last name. Um, and it's, but as a child, the idea of ever saying, oh, I'm, I'm Latina. I was like, that feels like co-opting something that is not mine. And I always felt Mm -hmm. so uncomfortable with the idea of saying it. And then the idea of saying Mexican specifically, Mexican has been a word that has been used a lot in American culture to describe things that are, um, have any influence from any, uh, uh, Latina, Latino community, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got Mexican food, quote unquote, you've got Tex-Mex and you've got all these Mm -hmm. things where it kind of became a word that was almost in some 
circles of people is offensive. And it also was a word that was applied to the entire Latino community for an extent, mm-hmm. like for a period of time where if you Correct. have brown skin, you're Mexican you're and Mexican. that's not accurate. And it's so Spanish, I was always a little, mm-hmm. right, right. So I was always a little hesitant to use that as well. Cause I was like, even though genuinely my family is from Mexico, it was always mm-hmm. a little bit of like a, well, like, I don't want to come off as like, I'm, you know, just generalizing groups of people who have skin that isn't white. And, mm-hmm. um, but that's interesting to know because, yeah, the Hispanic was always almost a little bit of a the thing that I would fall back on. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this seems like a safer term. And it's mm-hmm. funny now that that, that term is uh, dying out because it isn't a safe term. And if anything, it, it is less accurate. But, yeah, that was one of the things I, I just never felt the ownership to ever claim Latina. And, like, my older mm-hmm. sister uh, majored in Spanish for a period of college. Um uh, or I'm sorry, minored in Spanish for a period of college and like really like dove into the culture aspect of it. Cause mm-hmm. she just was like, I really want to know more about this. Like, this is part of who I am. I want to know more about exactly. it. And she is much more, um, honestly, just more boisterous and, uh, bold about things than I am uh, a lot of the times. And I can get really sheepish about things. And mm-hmm. she took ownership of it and she would refer to herself as Latina. And I always would kind of be like, Oh, like, uh, like feel really uncomfortable and awkward about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just it never felt like I took ownership and I didn't ever want to take something that wasn't mine either. Um, mm-hmm. And I also want to ask. understandable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to clarify too, Latinx. Latinx mm-hmm. is not a way to say it. Is that correct? No, you, you can say that. I think I'm just saying it in the English accent and then you're saying the okay. Spanish accent. Yeah. You can okay, say okay, it. Okay. However, <laughs> it's correct. I was saying it when that term first came out, I was completely saying it wrong. I don't even know how I was saying it because I, I'm like, okay, that's the term that I had never heard of. But then I had yeah. to educate myself and then be like, okay, right, well, right. there are people who identify that way. But yeah, you could say Latinx, you can say Latinx. Like I just use the like, English version of it. But yeah, you're saying it correctly. I don't think you're saying okay. it incorrectly to my knowledge. But okay, yeah, I know, say, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, to, to kind of piggyback what you said, I thank you for sharing that because I know that this is a sacred safe and it's it, a sacred space and it is a safe space. And I don't judge anybody with how they identify with. And that is totally understandable because- you know, I, people reached out to me, like, am I a Latina with masters, even though I don't speak Spanish? Like on there, it doesn't say that you have to speak Spanish to be Latina. Right. And so society builds these like norms, right. Of what a Latina looks like. Right. Like you said earlier, they thought because I spoke Spanish, I'm Mexican. I'm like, I am not Mexican. And I used to be defensive about it. Like, why do I got to be Mexican and speak Spanish? Right. Because you're not validating that there's other countries that exist that also speak Spanish. Right. Which is Nicaragua, which is all over Central and South America. Right. But then I started like accepting it. Like I shouldn't be defensive of a another hermano hermana that comes from another latin american country who speaks spanish so i also had to like check myself and be like you know next time somebody says i'm mexican i would just say kindly right and be like no i'm not mexican i'm actually from nicaragua right and and i'm kind of like correcting myself because i know i said earlier like you shouldn't jump down people's throats because i was that person i was that person to be like i'm not mexican why do you think i'm now i'm kind of like i'm older now i've grown i've healed all the things that trigger me right and now i'm just like no i'm not from mexico i'm from nicaragua and actually my kids are half mexican right because my husband is mexican right so those are the things that i have to learn i'm still learning how to identify right when I talk to people and it's understandable it's understandable if someone doesn't know because we're here to educate people right there's education outside of the classroom all the time right and and 
And similar to your sister, that's why I majored in Latino studies. I can tell you all day about the history of my family, why they came from Nicaragua, what was happening in the war, how we migrated over here. But I can't tell you the experience of like Guatemalans or, you know, Colombians or Bolivians or Panamanians, right? So I wanted to learn the history of Latin America in general, right? Latinos that are coming to the United States and why. So I wanted to be um, an immigration lawyer. And so that's why I chose Latino studies as my major because I knew that I wasn't going to be an immigration lawyer for just, you know, Mexican individuals or Nicaragüense individuals, right? Um, I knew that I needed to understand the history as to why Salvadorians come here and Panamanians and Bolivians and Colombians. And even though immigration happens through all countries, right? Um, I knew that the majority was going to be Latinos because I speak Spanish, right? Because I'm able to identify with them or have shared experiences. And so that's why I chose Latino studies as my major. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're constantly learning every day, you know, like education just doesn't exist in the classroom. Education exists with how we interact with people, you know, like um, learning other people's experiences. And even when you had mentioned about your father, your grandfather choosing not to um, teach their kids Spanish, that is common in like New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, right? Um, Mexican Americans that are fifth, sixth, seventh generation that do not speak Spanish, but will probably say, I am Latino, or I am Mexican, or I am Chicano, right? Um, and you know, and that is that that's the history in that region. And so we also have to accept that, that there are also Latinos, right? There are also Latinx, you know, individuals who embrace their culture and their identity and their language, right? Some of them are mixed with, you know, um, American Indian and, you know, uh, Mexican, and that's okay too. They're just as Latinos and they're just as American Indian as anybody else, right? That's just in that region, right? And so we also have to accept that. It may not be predominantly seen here in California, but it's not to say that it doesn't exist. And so that's what I wanted to learn, you know? And so that's why when you say things like that, I'm able to connect it to a certain part of the region or to a story, because I know that is, you know, a valid experience that, you know, there's a reason why your family chose for, you know, their uh, future generation family members not to speak Spanish because they probably experienced racism and segregation where they, you know, to themselves thought, I'll be damned if my kids go through the same shit that I went through. They're just not going to speak Spanish and we're going to eliminate that barrier. And that's okay. It doesn't make them less Latino. It doesn't make them, they did what they thought was um, going to protect their kids at that time, you know? And I don't think anybody should be judged because they don't speak Spanish or because, you know, um, society has labeled of what a Latino is, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I hope that information helps because as, as you can see, like I, I, I validate people's experiences. I'm, I'm very open, you know, and I like to share other stories because your story is not the only one that's out there like that. Yeah. And funny enough, my, my family actually, uh, like oh, the majority of my dad's side currently resides in like a small town near, uh, Tucson, Arizona. So they, they're right kind of, um, they're in Arizona and they <laughs> essentially occupy almost an entire town. Um, cause there's so many people and that. that have our last name. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that's so interesting. And I think, um, in, in so many groups and cultures and, um, environments and any type of group that someone might feel that they identify with there, there's often qualifiers that are put on it either by society or through 
media representation that's not accurate or exactly. through whatever. There, there's these weird qualifiers that you feel like if you don't meet this um, checklist that you're not allowed in that space. Um, Correct. And so I, I do really appreciate the validation from you because uh, it's a, I think it's a sensitive topic. And I think that mm-hmm. um, you do a great job of educating from a, obviously like a passionate standpoint, but also from a very like gentle and shame-free standpoint, which I, I'm of the belief system that I grew up with a lot of shame growing up in religion mm-hmm. and I, it didn't do me any good. And so I kind of try to uh, live my life and uh, educate and grow in a the, the greatest straight shame-free environment that I can find. Um, mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. And we're, we're at the end of our time, mm-hmm. but I wanted to end just on specifically the representation point. Mm-hmm. Why is it important? Cause I know a lot of your page is reposting and it's posting people that have sent mm-hmm. things in about their experience as a Latina with a master's degree. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's genuinely just uh, showing that experience and showing and providing that representation. So why is it important for the world to see Latina women succeeding and thriving in an educational environment? Why is that so vital? Ooh, man, I could think of like a million of them, right? But I'd probably say like my top three. <laughs> my top three is because we're able to see something that's tangible, right? When I was in my graduate program, I couldn't see anything tangible, right? Even though, yes, in my mind, I knew that there was Latinas out there with degrees, but I just, I wasn't navigating it with anybody at that time, right? In real time. Um, and so uh, representation matters because it's something that's tangible. I'm able to see somebody that looks like me in which I identify with, right? Where we have shared identities or shared experiences and be like, oh, wow, that happened to me too. Or like, oh, that's me also. Or like, wow, I want to be where she's at, you know? And now I'm able to see it that like, si se puede, right? Like you can, you can do it. We can do it. Right. Um, so I feel like that's important. Like the valid, the validation and the, the tan, the, tangible part of it, I guess. Um, the second thing, the second thing is also is because, um, you know, I want to be able to share also, like, if you do want to go down this path, cause I'm a strong believer that, you know, you don't have to have to, uh, you don't have to have a degree to be successful. My parents don't have degrees. They're retired. They're very successful in their fields. Right. What I'm saying is that if you choose to go down this path, you have individuals that look like you, that have navigated the space, that are here to help you, right? And so then um, that representation is also helping our people, right? Helping anybody who reaches out and says, hey, I want to get a master's degree. How do I get there? And so then, great, let's talk about it. Let me tell you all these things that you need to do, right? Um, And so then that's number two, right, is more of being like a graduate school guide, right? And then the third, the third one that I would say is that it's a counter space. Like I said earlier, right? Um, literature about, like specifically, even about me being a Central American, it's like almost non-existent, right? And so I'm creating a counter space, right? I'm telling academia and I'm telling society and I'm telling the world that our um, experiences do exist, um, and you know. And being part of that counter space is creating a culture of belonging, right? I'm, I'm, I'm reminding you that you do belong here, right? I'm reminding you that, yes, we are entering spaces, learning spaces that were not designed for us. But, you know, even though we're conditioning also in the way that we're navigating it, we're, there's also people in here that are trying to disrupt it, right? And so then... Um, 
it's it's a counter space because it's a safe space, it's a positive space, it's a non-judgmental free space um, for you to, you know, f- feel a culture of belonging um, in academia, but then also it's going to help you uh, and give you confidence for you to being, you know, disruptive and interrogate other spaces, right? In the workplace or again, in healthcare or just in society in general. And so those are the stories that I love to hear back is I followed your page. I decided to create awareness on kids with autism because I work in this space. Now I've, you know, met other individuals who also are in this space that I would never met unless I started this Instagram page. And now we have this community of, you know, speech pathologists and psychologists that are helping helping kids of autism with students of color, for example, right? And so that would have not happened unless they saw Latinas with Masters, unless they, I reposted somebody who's a speech speech pathologist, who's also having that shared experience in which she had the courage to connect with that person. So um, as you can see, like I can, there's so many stories out there and, and, And that's why I created the podcast, just like you, to bring awareness. And the Latinas with Masters podcast for season two is I have Latinos reach out to me, male and non-binary, say, hey, I love your page. I follow Latinas with Masters. But hey, Latinos have Masters, too. Like, I have a Masters, too, and I want to share my story. Can I share with my can I share my story, even though I don't identify as Latina? And I'm like, absolutely. So season two is dedicated to individuals who identify as male, um, non-binary, queer, um, and they're sharing their experiences that I would not be able to share because I don't have that experiences. But again, we have shared, but I just recorded one yesterday, you know, a black and Mexican individual who's non-binary, um, who identify as they and them, um, who is queer, but is also very passionate about housing and also very passionate of showing up as his authentic self in this space. And so that's why representation matters because you're able to see someone that looks like you in a space that 50 years ago would not be in that at the table making decisions for you to have affordable housing, you know? And so that's why representation matters and it doesn't have to be Latina based. I know that's the conversation of today, but representation matters in all types of identities and culture and language and anything that you see a gap of, there should be a place of belonging for you, you know? And my advice to you is, is that if you don't see it, create it, you know, don't ask permission to be like, oh, I really want to do this podcast, but oh, I don't know. Create the podcast, create the podcast. And your audience is going to tell you what resonated with them, what else is missing, who you should have on your podcast, because that's honestly, as soon as I started the podcast, everybody was like, oh, you know who would be perfect on your podcast? So-and-so, because they talk about joteria and queerness. Oh, you know who it would be? Because she's super conservative and she's Catholic, but she has a great, you know, and I'm like, wow, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. So that's why representation matters. I hope you know, you, you enjoyed this conversation. I know it could be tough sometimes to have these conversations. I'm not saying that I'm perfect or that I know it all, but I know enough to have these conversations to learn from other individuals who can also teach me on how to continue the conversations that are not, um, discussed in a classroom or outside of a classroom because of, you know, the lack of awareness. Right. Yeah. No. And I, starting my podcast, I 
that was so similar. Like it was, it was one of those things where starting my podcast was an incredibly selfish endeavor. It was me, me, um, in the middle of COVID feeling like I had just started this growth journey of leaving Christianity and leaving this incredibly conservative environment and, uh, social media, it kind of exposing me to so many different demographics that I did not even, I, I didn't even realize were missing from my life. And it was mm-hmm. one of those things where it was like, wow, I can learn so much from just people simply sharing their experience. And that was kind of a, a kind of, you know, light bulb in my brain of, well, my community is primarily uh, white individuals who are coming from a uh, ex-religious background. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming that so many of us have similar experiences of just not being exposed to the diversity of the world because of our little bubbles that we all lived in. And so that was kind of a similar uh, thing for my podcast, which is literally like, okay, well, I want to have these conversations with people. And it was partially wanting to share it with people. And it was 100% selfishly me just wanting to be able to have conversations where I can learn from people because it was like, well, we have COVID and we're incredibly isolated and I can't go and go to conventions or uh, communities and meet people in person. And so it was like, all right, like, fuck it, let's do a podcast and we'll just start having conversations with people. And that'll be how I'm able to kind of grow and learn and um, also give other people a platform, even though mine is relatively small to share their experiences. Um, And it has blossomed into a really cool thing. And yeah, it it is one of those things I would second the, the, just start the podcast. Like it, I know people give people shit about like, there's so many podcasts, like we don't need any more. Yeah, we do. Fuck it. Yes, we do. There's there's always more. There's too many clothes. There's too many clothing lines. There's too many shoes. Like that's not stopping them from making money. Right. Or, or being a successful business. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for, being so uh, patient and gentle and um, kind about the way that you're sharing your experience and educating other people, because I think that people respond a lot better to kindness and patience and Mm shame-free environments. And so Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate that. And I also want to give you a space to uh, plug anything you have to plug, give everyone some details about where they can listen to your podcast and all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. So you can definitely follow me on all social media platforms, Latinas with Masters. That's Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, TikTok. Um, I have a website called Latinas with Masters as well. If you want to um, book me for like an inspiration speak speaking event, rather at your college, at your university, at in your in your group, um, at your work, wherever, it doesn't matter. You can definitely um, get information there. I also have resources there as well. Um, And then you can listen to the Latinas with Masters podcast. Um, It's available on all podcasting platforms um, for you to listen to. And then on the website, I also have merchandise. So I do have right now in full transparency, it is the I guess the the collection, it does say Latinas with Masters, but I am intentional in creating other types of um, verbiage for the shirts because I, I want to be, I want to make sure that I include everyone um, and not just putting random sayings on there. Like I'm actually getting advice from people who identify in those spaces to create the line as well. Right. Um, so that's the part where I said that I'm learning. Right. So if it's Latinx, Latine, Latino, woman, black woman, whatever it is, right. I'm trying to be correct in the way that I address, um, the collection. And so, um, but check it out. Um, if you want to, um, support there and then I believe, I believe that's it. I, there, there's a lot more things coming up, but it's not fully in fruitation yet. Um, but you'll definitely, you know, if you follow the Latinas with masters, uh, Instagram page, that's the 
that's the space where I majority do my announcements and anything coming up. Perfect. And then I, I just hopped on the website real quick. And for listeners who felt like they benefited from this conversation, um, there's also a way to support. So you can donate to uh, help support the website, the podcast. Um, and it also says promotional giveaways for college students, which is a fun, Absolutely. A fun little Absolutely, one. Yeah. Um, the money goes back to, you know, if someone says, I can't hey, want to apply to grad school, but I can't afford the application fee. I help somebody else um, pay or like just through the donation, pay for their state exam to be a licensed therapist, you know, and the community came through and even though it's $150, it's $150 to somebody. Right. And so yeah, yeah. we were able to help that individual, you know, um, pay for, for that state exam. So those are the things that I'm trying to help out. Just those small little barriers that can stop someone from furthering their education or their goal. You know, let's, let's find a way to just, you know, Let's just one barrier at a time, right? That's one barrier we just got off your your chest. So thank you so yeah. much for watching. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And to all my audience, go listen to Latinas with Masters. I, I love it when there's someone else who's a podcaster on that I can kind of uh, just my my audience can shuffle. And we just had someone else on like two weeks ago that had a podcast. Oh, and it's cool. always fun when, when you can do mutual listens. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's all the time that we have for today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. You can rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review and on Spotify now. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit the blog online at serafinablog.com. And then you can visit the podcast online at mindfulmindspod.com. And you can also follow us on TikTok. Um, the podcast is under at Mindful Minds Podcast. And then my personal TikTok where I cover a lot of deconstruction content is under Fina underscore underscore Bina, B-I-N-A. Um, so yeah. And as always, uh, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath. And remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will chat with you guys in two weeks. <laughs>